The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Next on Life Today, Christian leaders from across the country come together to discuss how the church should respond to racial division. Because let's face it, there are people plotting right now thinking if we can just keep black folks, Hispanic folks in their box, we'll be fine. Keep them in their box and we'll be fine. And the way we do that is make sure that they identify primarily with race and with oppression and not with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, if you know the leaders that were gathered right here in this studio, I mean, yesterday and uh, into the evening, and you understand the great diversity in these various uh, denominational groups and the high influence and impact they have, and oftentimes they, they've been seen to be miles apart. And suddenly what Jesus prayed for, that his disciples, his family, would actually be one with the Father, but also with one another like a family, the unity prayed for. And it's this unity that's going to be essential to see America restored to stability and security that our hearts long for, to have the peace that we want, the protection that we want, the opportunity that we want. But we're facing some very critical decisions. And the only way we're going to make the right decisions and then see the people that are chosen by the people have the counsel essential to move us in the right direction that is beneficial to everyone. These leaders not only shared their heart and poured out their wisdom, but I believe, Betty, they shared the heart of God and the very wisdom of God for you to bless you and look, enable you who want to share the love of God with others to still have the ability and the wherewithal to do it. You can't assist people if you don't have the ability to assist. You can't put loving arms around people and support mission outreaches if you don't have the ability. And if we allow freedom and opportunity to be destroyed in our future, we're not going to be able to help anybody. We'll be simply fighting to survive. But there's so much more to offer, so much hope. Listen to God, I believe, speak to you through these great Christian leaders. I want to pick up on uh, what your pastor was just saying um, and something that you alluded to as well. In fact, I had this thought while you were speaking, Dr. Zacharias, and it's this. Maybe we need a new vocabulary for speaking to the American people and the body of Christ that is neither left nor right, but uniquely biblical and American uh, that talks about our identity who we really are, who God made us to be. Because I think we as a body of Christ have bought into the left-right paradigm and we automatically lop off half the population when we talk that way. And I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I mean, I'm conservative and automatically people who identify another way think, okay, well then you don't have anything to say to me. Um, I wanna put that particularly in the context of the racial division that we've seen in the country because it breaks my heart that members of the body of Christ seem to find in many instances their primary identity in their race, in their skin color. And we've heard some testaments about that today. And I've been preaching to black congregations wherever I can, what is the difference between the Jim Crow South 
and the slave masters who tried to turn Christianity into a racial ideology in which they taught black people to deserve to be where they are. It was God's plan for them to be where they are because there's certain inherent inferiorities in them. And black and other minority churches teaching today, there's something wrong with white people. Uh, they don't get it. Uh, we have to stick together racially. And you end up teaching instead of Christianity and that message that you just shared with us, you end up teaching a racial ideology uh, that, that becomes the cloak that in which the church is draped rather than it being draped in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd love to hear you all or anyone else speak to that because it is an issue that I grapple with day by day, because let's face it, there are people plotting right now thinking if we can just keep black folks, Hispanic folks in their box, we'll be fine. Keep them in their box and we'll be fine. And the way we do that is make sure that they identify primarily with race and with oppression and not with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, you know, it's fascinating uh, and you're so right. This is part of the media game too. If the media can use that, they will use it to advantage. They will go to form rather than substance and divide the nation. If you divide the nation, you appeal to baser motives of hate and memory and all of that rather than the lure of the future, what is best and what guides us. I come from a land that is terribly divided as well in India. All the 40 years now I've lived in the West. But if you go from the North to the South, it's the same issue. One of the reasons many of them will leave those parts and come to America is because they think they will have a better chance and a better hope here. We've not given full credit to these parts of the world that do give a chance for people to succeed regardless of the color of their skin or the creed. I have a friend in Russia, Krista Sarasing, who's professor of theology. His wife, Nancy, is professor of Russian art, Harvard graduate, PhD. She went to Russia to teach Russian art. Imagine that. And what she would do every morning on her way to work was sit in one of the Russian great art shops with an older man and just listen to him, have coffee with him every morning, ask him questions, stories about the paintings. One day as she was leaving, he said, just a minute, I've never introduced you to my wife. And he goes over to the corner, looks up the stairs and asks his wife to come down. And he said to her, I want you to come and meet this American woman with a Russian soul. I want you to meet this American woman with a Russian soul. It is not what we look like that will ultimately win people. It is the soulishness that we truly convey to people. That is the imperative I have in this land for what it has given to me, the opportunity to honor my calling and to raise my family and to find peace and opportunity. You'll never find a perfect nation anywhere, but it is up to the church to where the soul that communicates the up to the other person and let them know that our love for them is not superficial, it's not pragmatic, it's not uh, utilitarian. It comes genuinely out of a love for God's creation. And I deeply appreciate what you're saying. And the more messages our people here in our church is that my identity is not in my color nor in my degrees, 
nor for that matter in my denomination or whatever, but my identity, identity is in the essential worth that God has given to me and the privilege of a reflective splendor. We are not reflecting the splendor of our race. We are reflecting the splendor of the living God. And the more preachers stand and teach the people, don't look upon yourself from the exterior. Let your exterior be so contoured by the interior. And my brother, if more pastors like you would do that, then the reverse racism today would not be there. We need to see ourselves as children of God. I don't see myself as an Indian anymore. I see myself as a child of God who happened to be given the privilege of a birth in, an, in Indian skin. And uh, I'm a son of God first and foremost, just happens to be that he gave me the medium brown complexion to go about and do it, you know. You know, I never would have even been born had the laws that prevail today been prominent in my day when I was conceived. I would not have been born. It would have been so easy. The circumstances for my 40-year-old hospice mother were so bad. And then I think about how poor we were when you move 17 times in 10 years and most of the places don't face a street and nobody taught me that you owed me something. They didn't even teach me I was unfortunate. I saw freedom. And in freedom, I saw opportunity. And nothing could have held this little fatherless boy back, especially when the father took me in his arms. And it breaks my heart, Dr. Bishop Jackson, when I see people that are minorities, Sammy Rodriguez, and it looks like they're being used rather than loved and helped and they're not being appreciated and they're being trapped by a, being convinced they're dependent. And it, to me, it's, it's a great offense to them because they have such incredible indescribable potential. Who would have ever thought this little overlooked fatherless kid that lived in, as a minority in the community I was in, I was like 15% white in the community where I lived. I didn't even understand why people had trouble with the racial distinctions then. Just a, just a kid, I just looked at them and I just saw they were my neighbors. So what's happening today is keeping people trapped. Uh, and it's breaking my heart. Harry, how do you feel about what you're watching right now? The, tension between the races because I know it breaks your heart because I know you love all people and you know that in, in the Father, in Christ, we're all one family and we can put this nonsense aside in Christ. Well, it concerns me. I weep over it. You and I have talked about this on many occasions, but I want to give a word of encouragement to my white and Hispanic Asian brothers here. So often when blacks talk about the race issue, there's guilt projection. There's all kinds of things that we bring into the equation. But the reality is Jesus prophesied about these days. And he said in the last days, nation will rise up against nation. In the Greek, that's ethnic group against ethnic group. So there's something about the fallen nature of the world. Then Genesis 11, we found that there had to be, God had to break up the cultures confuse our language and separate us so that we wouldn't in human strength try, try to create a false unity. And uh, 
But in Acts 17, it says that God has set the boundaries of the nations as it's pleased him so that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. In other words, God's got a plan for every nation to be reached. I say that in this divided society, James, nobody can fix America but the church. Because on the day of Pentecost, when those folks spoke in tongues and they reversed the curse that had been set in Genesis 11, and God was showing us that the capacity for there to be oneness is in Christianity and believing in him. And so I want to summarize this, but I want to give it as a word of encouragement. In Christ, Paul said there's neither Jew nor Greek, male or female. He was saying we come to a higher level of unity and we become a new race. I believe that God is looking to raise up Martin Luther King Jr.'s with his mantle to heal the racial problem, but they're not going to just be black people. I believe in this generation, they're going to be whites, they're going to be Hispanics, that God puts his hands on. And because they're Christians, they're going to live in a way that Bishop Jackson talked about, that they see, and Robbie talked about, that they see Christianity as their primary identifier. But, but, but listen to this. But they're anointed to release the healing unity of Christ. In other words, there's something that God has done to set us up for the nation to see Jesus. If we'll just come together, we'll believe that we're anointed in this age. And I believe that we're going to have to win people, disciple communities in order to see it. And if we'll preach the gospel and then make sure that our government, James, does not cause government to be seen as God socialistic oriented government ensnares it traps it makes people dependent but biblically based worldview will cause people to be freed released into a liberty where they can find their destiny do you agree that in the black community there are a lot of leaders that are actually keeping their people in a form of bondage because they're not uh, they're being used by the person who makes the promises but doesn't seem to have the legitimate compassionate concern and interest in seeing you be able to move beyond the limitations of that environment is isn't that what is actually needed and don't you need black leaders who would inspire the people to get out of that bondage and that sense of dependency? Don't we need voices like that? Because Sammy's saying, you know, he may be in a minority taking the stand. Are you willing to be a minority taking the stand for what you believe is best for the people? Do you agree that, that somehow black, uh, the black community needs to hear some new leadership that really wants to get them out of this sense of dependency? Well, we really do, but he alluded to justice issues. Uh, white evangelicals historically have gone for righteousness issues, life, marriage, etc., and by and large have been insensitive to the needs of the black and Hispanic communities on justice issues. What's happened in many areas of black community, I'm sure Bishop Jackson would agree with me on this, is that a watered-down version of liberation theology has been preached, in a sense, in our pulpits, meaning that government is seen as, in a sense, as God. And so we're going to have to deal with what are the policies that can be brought forth by compassionate people that will create an atmosphere of justice, but not just justice. Cause you know, you have 
one group is blind in one eye and the other group is blind in the other. We need righteousness and justice. And therefore, I believe then we do need leaders to advocate for things like better schools. We need more jobs in the hood. We need to encourage entrepreneurism uh, in our community. Uh, we need um, criminal justice reform in terms of returning nonviolent offenders, getting a chance to reestablish with their, de uh, their destiny. But the reality is, if we don't start thinking differently, we'll get into a place where generational poverty really moves us. I believe that class is one of the major issues that we're dealing with from a moral point of view. That was what Bernie Sanders was all about, but he had government as God. I, I believe that educational reform in terms of people being able to rise uh, out of the ashes of generational poverty, uh, we got to figure out a way to get more people trained and get opportunity to get on to, in a sense, life's highway. And we got to create an opportunity where people can earn their own money, James, without having to take your money or feel like you got to, we got to limit how much money you make because we should be getting some of the prosperity of America. No, that, that's wrong thinking. And I think it can start with the church teaching correctly. And then we're going to have to have some folk actually from the church go into politics as missionaries in a government mountain. I know your heart has to be blessed. Mine is for sure. After what, listening to this yesterday, God is just doing some wonderful things. Well, he really is. And I, I think what you're hearing is actually an answer to the prayers many of you prayed. God, give us some wisdom and some insight concerning the future and the decision that's so important that we're going to make in the early uh, first week of November. Because the decision we make and the leader that's chosen, and then the influence through prayer and, and, and through wise counsel being shared and hopefully being heard and heeded, our future depends upon that because freedom's foundation is truth. And we know the truth that sets us free and keeps us free, but many people have abandoned it. It's like they've cast it aside, just like they've taken innocent life to be so unimportant that for inconvenience, you could terminate a life. It's heartbreaking. You've got to appreciate what these wonderful leaders are sharing as they encourage all of us to pray together. I want you to look in at a situation that throughout the year, every one of you who watch life today often cannot watch and not want to extend the loving hands of God. There's no way you can see the opportunities that God has given us and the effective way of dealing with the challenge miraculously, undeniably, every one of you have always indicated, we want to have a part in that. I want you to watch and see if your heart doesn't leap to such a point that you would extend a loving hand and have a transforming impact on a child's life. You are going to see them excited in the Christmas season because they're going to see the love you have and what love does as a gift. The saying, there is more to it than meets the eye, certainly applies to children affected by a congenital facial condition called cleft palate. Beyond the obvious of a child suffering socially because they look different than others their age are the physical problems they face because of cleft palate. 
One is being able to feed themselves properly because of the lack of suction. Other challenges are high rates of middle ear infections that can cause hearing loss, which in turn can affect their ability to sound out words and learn to speak properly. The encouraging fact about cleft palate is that children suffering with this condition can be totally healed through the skilled hands of a surgeon. The dramatic difference that can be seen in children who have had the surgery not only gives them a new smile, but it improves their health and overall quality of life. Little May May here is one of the girls who received one of those surgeries through your giving. And we just want to say thank you today for loving on her, believing in her. Your giving seemed like a one-time gift, but it's really a gift that gives a lifetime. Beautiful Christmas smiles. During this season of kind gestures and goodwill, please consider reaching beyond your family and include a child somewhere in the world whose life literally can be changed forever by receiving the gift of a corrective surgery. Oh boy, I can't look at those little kids and not have my heart just uh, almost break when I see how they feel, Betty. I remember a child in, in uh, Angola years ago that had evidently not seen his face. Uh, even in a, in a reflection, at least it appeared he hadn't. But we were taking some video pictures and then we were playing them back on a little monitor and letting the children see what they look like. And when this little child with a horrible cleft palate or deformity saw his face, he just pulled back. He just was, it was like he was almost terrified to see his own face. And it was a very difficult situation at that time because it was in the intense uh, uh, times and throes of the Civil War in Angola. And, and you couldn't just do a surgery there. And there wasn't a surgeon there in that war-torn country that could do it. And when we showed you, our viewers, that little boy, you said, whatever it takes to get him to a surgeon, we want to do it. And we actually miraculously, Betty, I mean, think about this. We actually got special permission from the Angolan government and from South Africa to provide transportation. Somebody there provided a private airplane and you paid for the fuel and the transportation and we flew that little boy all the way to South Africa to Johannesburg where he got that surgery. I mean, it was an unbelievable miracle expression of love. So if there's any way, you know, Betty, we're praying this, that you could help us by making a gift. It's $500 average surgery. We're praying for many of you to make that $500 gift or a $1,000 gift. And I'm believing a lot of our friends will not only give shoes for Christmas because we're doing that, uh, $36 gives 10 children a pair of shoes. But I'm praying that many of our viewers would, would give a surgery or perhaps $1,000 and give two children a smile for I, Christmas. I, I feel like our friends will, James. You know, I remember as a, as a first-time mother and our child, the newborn, Rhonda, and, and you get them home and you're waiting for that first smile, just a little crease in, in the cheek go up and a, a little grin come across their face and how pleased you were when you saw that first smile. Well, there's some babies that we're talking about right now that don't have that first smile. They're waiting for it and we can give it to them. Isn't that exciting that we can, for the first time, a little child can smile. And there's nothing more disarming to see than to see, James, a little child smile. It just brings joy to mm -hmm. your heart. So join with us and let's give some smiles for Christmas. Yeah, of such is the mm -hmm. kingdom of heaven, little children. And when they're fighting uh, a difficulty that love can just totally change. I mean, this, this is a miracle healing in itself.
and it is it's made possible because of love. Would you right now go to lifetoday.org, go online, or you can dial the telephone number and take a bank card and look, make the best gift you can. This is a Christmas gift. Christmas smiles and shoes. Would you do that? Could you give a $180 gift that would give 50 children shoes for Christmas? Is there any way that you could help give a smile or maybe a $1,000 gift? I don't know what level, but $36 will give 10 pairs of shoes. Father, I pray everyone watching will be moved by your spirit to extend hands of love and provide some shoes and some smiles in Jesus' name. Lifetoday.org or dial the number. We have some beautiful gifts to send you that I know you're going to treasure. And I know they'll become conversation pieces as you hang these little shoe ornaments on your Christmas tree. People are going to ask you about it. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing the love of God. Poverty is a killer. And because of it, children needlessly suffer, not only from a lack of food and clean water, but also from a lack of things we take for granted, such as a healthy smile or a simple pair of shoes. For most of these children, they've never owned a new pair of shoes. And while that may seem minor in the light of all their needs, walking with bare feet puts them at risk of life-threatening infections that could lead to crippling consequences, disease, and even death. By responding today, you can help life immediately secure and begin shipping Christmas shoes to 150,000 children around the world just in time for the holidays. Your gift of $36 will help provide 10 pairs of shoes. A gift of $72 will help provide 20 pair. And a gift of $180 will help provide 50 pairs of Christmas shoes for children in need. With your gift of any amount, be sure to request this beautifully crafted blue metal shoe ornament, a treasure to place on your tree each holiday season. With your gift of $180 or more, you may also request this keepsake boxed set of Life's Christmas Shoe Ornaments. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,000 or more to help provide over 275 pairs of shoes or two children with corrective cleft palate surgeries, and you may request our Majesty Bronze Sculpture. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. Well, I know you're going to like this little Christmas ornament, any gift you make. And I think the Christmas tree, uh, this is such a beautiful gift. It comes in a gift box. This is all six of the shoes uh, that have we've, uh, you know, crafted over the years uh, to say thank you. And now you can get for a gift of $180, 50 children's shoes, but also get the beautiful Christmas decoration. Tell your friends about the special programming, calling for prayer for the awakening we need, for God to heal our land, and for not only prayer, but active participation on the part of the American people and everyone who is a Christian and who cares about others and cares about freedom. It's for freedom Christ made us free. Let's express ourselves first in prayer, but then in action by making the wisest choice all the way across the board from the local elections all the way to the top. Every person expressing your heartfelt convictions and concerns. Thank you for doing it. Thanks for watching Life Today. Encourage your friends to watch and pray.
Next week, join Michelle Bachman, Sheila Walsh, Kenneth Copeland, and many other Christian leaders coming together to share hope for our nation. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.